What's up, Zach? Morning. I got a pop quiz for you. Okay. What are the names of all nine reindeer? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, one's Dancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen, Rudolph. I'm counting seven, Zach. How many are there? There's eight. Other, well, there's nine plus Rudolph. Plus Rudolph. Oh, goodness. You're missing two. I'm missing two? Yeah. I just, I just don't know. It's Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, mm. Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen, Rudolph. <sighs> Which and, one did I miss? The first um, two? Dasher. I think you missed two in the middle. Maybe Prance it and Comet. Or I think you missed, yeah. Vixen, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It? Doesn't matter. Tracking. What's your point? What's your point? My point here, Zach, is not all the reindeer are getting love that they deserve. How so? And an example is every time you drive down the highway mm-hmm. on around Christmas time, you're going to see cars dressed up, which is exciting. That's I love fun. Christmas spirit. It's so fun. But not every car should have a red nose. Right. Not every car can be Rudolph. Not every car can be Rudolph. Because there's, what, eight other reindeer? There's eight others. Who are actually pulling the sleigh. Yes. Rudolph is just clearing the fog yeah. so Santa can see. Yeah. So before, if you if you remember, if you recall. Mm, the most famous reindeer yes, of all. Yes. But before him, the sleigh was pulling just fine. Just fine. It just happened to be a foggy Christmas Eve. And they pull Rudolph off the bench. Right. And they put him in the team. And now he's the most famous of all the he's reindeer. He's the ninth man. He literally got made fun of before that. Yeah. And now we decide to put red noses on all of our cars. I know. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's it's. I'm happy for him. Yeah, good for Rudolph. But he's not doing all the work. Right. We got to remember our Blitzens, our Vixens, and our Comets out yes, there. Yes, and Cupids and... and We'll work on it. We'll we'll get there. Maybe by next time we'll have it. But if you're out there and you have a Rudolph on your car. Consider changing it. Consider a black nose. Yeah. And maybe pick an identity of a a reindeer that you want to embody with your car. What does your vehicle mean to you? If your truck has a lot of horsepower, I've heard Dasher is is really the main puller here. Yeah. So just, I mean, just A BMW or a Lamborghini Prancer, maybe. (laughs) Here we go. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, the man, the myth, Coop McCullough. Bam, 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 bam. Oh, thank you, Monica, for the foghorn sound. It is me, Cooper. Oh, we love our receptionist, Monica, always coming in with the foghorn. Bam, 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 bam. There she is again. Hey, we got a good one for you today, Coop. This was a fun interview. This is Clint Bruce. He played football at the Naval Academy. Okay. Was picked up by the Baltimore Ravens. Wow. Then decided to go serve our country as a Navy SEAL on SEAL Team 5. Okay. That's impressive. And then when he got out of that, he went back to the NFL to play linebacker for the New Orleans Saints. Sheesh. Now he's CEO of a couple companies here in Dallas. And so this guy is just... He's a man. And he can do it all. He really can. A jack of all trades. He's a Navy SEAL. Not a guy you want to mess with. But we talked to him about it, what it means to be elite. Yeah. What elite leaders do, what elite performers do. And I mean, he learned this from the highest form of military service and from the highest form of sports. Yeah. Played in the NFL. He was a Navy SEAL. He says in any situation, there's five possible outcomes. There's It can be bad. It can be average. It can be good. It can be excellent. Or it can be elite. And as we know, like we strive for excellence in most things. Yeah. We strive for perfection, but we land in excellence. But he's going to take it one step further and give five habits that all elite performers do wow. and what they're like. And I learned so much from this episode. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm excited to hear more about what it means to be elite because I always thought excellence was the standard. Right. 
And he tells some fascinating stories, one about being a linebacker with Ray Lewis and two about just being a Navy SEAL and how he got to these conclusions. And, and some of his stories are really, really cool. And this is a guy I respect and admire a lot. And I wouldn't want to mess with, I'll tell you that. He's got a sick beard. Here he is, Clint Bruce. Clint, I'm so excited to sit with you and just to be with you and to hear from you. And first, I want to thank you for your service for our country and what you did yeah, for us pleasure. Just protecting Absolutely. this. It was, it was a privilege. And that's always a awkward thing to hear uh, when people say thank you for your service because, you know, like um, – I wanted to serve. Like right. for, for me, there was a desire to to to, to do that to to serve, and and then you know for me it was a, a, a and I think everybody's really honest with you, especially in the special operations community. We're we're all trying to prove something, right? So right. you go to the hardest places, do the hardest things to prove something to yourself. Um, and so for me, there's times where it did feel like service, like, you know, missing the birth of my daughter and some of those other things. But uh, I wanted to do it. You know, you should thank my wife for her service because yeah. yeah, I think we have an all-volunteer military, but the families get drafted, mm-hmm. you know, is, is kind of what happens. And, right. and the family serves. In some ways, the family serves. Many ways and many times, the family serves more sacrificially than the service member. And I'm not diminishing the service member. But there's no accidental fighter pilots. Like you're a fighter pilot because you wanted to be a fighter pilot, right? And and you know that's you're up there going, you know, five thousand miles per hour riding a roller coaster that right. you're you know building at real time. Like, and you you know your spouse is on deck, you know, chasing around three different rugrats, and mm-hmm. you're up having the time of your life, right? right? So so I just, I appreciate that. It just for me sometimes I'm like, hey, um, it didn't feel. It didn't feel like service. It felt like a privilege. Uh, my wife served. My kids served. Um, but uh, that's a really long, you're welcome, but you're welcome. <laughs> I appreciate it. But your journey didn't start there. It didn't no. start with the SEALs. It started no. before you playing playing football at the Naval Academy. Kind of yeah. tell us your journey. How did you get to where yeah, you Yeah, man. So I, I grew up in Arkansas. I grew up in Little Rock. And uh, was just always around faith. My father had a, a, a pretty challenging childhood. He... Uh, um, you grew up in, in pretty abject poverty in South Texas. His father passed away when he was eight. Uh, my father, fundamentally, at the end of the day, just knew how to work. He's like, hey, if you work, uh, things are going to happen. So I think the work ethic was instilled in all of us by him. Uh, my mother grew up in, in Arkansas. Uh, really amazing story. She's she's remarried now to a guy she grew up with first through 12th grade. Right? Wow. Because my dad passed away when I was in high school. And, and it's one of these things where um, you think you're ready to – be a leader and manage everything. Then all of a sudden the leader goes away and you're like, Whoa, hold on. There's so much I didn't know. Right. Nice. But moved down to Dallas when I was in middle school, started playing football, I played football seventh, eighth grade. W- wasn't good at football until halfway through my junior year, kind of, kind of on accident. In some ways I'm really grateful for that because being a, a scout team guy, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th grade, man, just the level of football knowledge I accrued by playing every position on the field against our number one offense and our number one defense. And what I didn't realize is, and again, to go back to Galatians 6-9, like we were talking about before, it's like the right thing is to be a great teammate, do what the coach tells you to do, learn as much as you can. What I didn't know at the time is I was massing this kind of uh, empathetic awareness of what it was like to play the other positions and this kind of adversarial mindset of being the scout team. And so when I kind of – got my chance to play on the field. I knew so much about the pos- other positions because I'd played them and I probably had more reps than any of the starters because the scout team doesn't rotate, right? One's goes, two goes, scout team stays out there the whole time, right? So for anybody who's listening to this, who's struggling not being a starter, I would tell you like, hey, I'd rather start, I'd rather mass knowledge 
and then become a starter in whatever you're trying to do, then become a starter and try to uh, figure it out along the way, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, and then obviously my father passed away when I was in high school, and, and uh, you, you hear this said a lot now when it talks about service categories, but I remember sitting in the hospital with my father, and him saying, son, you got to, so I was getting attention as an athlete and I played a really good school, South Carolina, had amazing coaches, you know, Don Poe and, and, and some of the amazing coaches that we had. And my dad said, hey, you've got to make a 40-year decision, not a four-year decision. Mm-hmm. So instantly when he said this, this whole cross-section of college football opportunities kind of fell away. Not because they weren't great schools or amazing schools, right? But when you are the oldest son and and you got to take care of the family, like you got to go with a thing that's going to most likely provision for everybody and, and service. The service academies are amazing places um, to know I was going to have a job, know I was going to have the opportunity to pursue becoming a Navy SEAL, which I'd always wanted to do as well. Um, Naval Academy just made, it, it, it would have been irresponsible to right. not pursue that. And, get, and and truthfully, I think God was really gentle to me by sending me there too, because I was a pretty, I was a six foot, 230 pound, you know, strong, angry kid coming out of high school who just lost his dad. Mm-hmm. And you put that on 6th Street, University of Texas or something like that. And I, I was never a bad guy. Like I could never fight for the wrong reasons. But if I scented any type of virtue or nobility in conflict then i was like yeah i'm in right yeah and and, you know you go to the naval academy and next thing you know you're kind of surrounded by people that you're a little bit afraid of it's like oh that guy's a force recon officer oh that guy's a navy seal that fought in panama so it's like it kind of checks you right hey my professor can beat me up so there will be no smarting off to the professor and then you have no time you know 30 seconds you're like this place is awful then you fall asleep and then you know 5 a.m they're throwing a trash can down the hallway and you just get to work being a great teammate Mm -hmm. and so it was really interesting to see how god's just really shaped my life and, and really protected me from me and, and, and what the world tells us we ought to do and be. Mm. So Yeah, so you graduate from the Naval Academy. Yeah. And then what? Barely, barely. <laughs> barely made Greatest it. thing about being from the Naval Globally. Academy is no one asks you a grade point average. They're yeah. just like, you just graduate. Yeah, right? And, right. And, and uh, <clears throat> I did. Naval and, Academy. Yeah, I did. I made it, barely. And uh, I was picked up by the Baltimore Ravens. Okay. So I, I, I spent time with the Baltimore Ravens. and But I've also been very, very fortunate to um, – there's this thing at service academy is called service selection and service selection is when you tell the Navy, the Marine Corps, the army, the air force, what do you want to do for them when you graduate? And these communities look at you and go, yeah, we'll let you try or no, you're not going to come here. Right. And I was really fortunate to get one of uh, 16 billets is what we call them to, to, to try out for the seal teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember sitting there uh, at, at, the, at the Ravens and in theory, I should have been so excited, but all I was thinking about was missing the opportunity to, because I knew football and, and I don't know how good I could have been. I don't know how long I could have stayed in the NFL. Right. No one knows I played in the NFL because I played the same position as Ray Lewis and he's really good, right? <laughs> he wasn't bad. <laughs> no, he was, he was all right. <laughs> and I was just like, I got to go where I don't know. Yeah. And I didn't know if I could become a SEAL. And I remember talking to my wife and, and at the time we had just gotten married. And I said, babe, what do you think? And she's like, listen, you know football. And football knows you. And and but we don't know if we can do this. And if you're feeling led to go where you don't know, then then I got you. And she has. I mean, for 23 years, she's had me, right? So I kind of felt called towards the adventure. Right. And 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 you know, for me, f- football is important. Sports are important, it's a great leadership laboratory. 
Um, and if you play at a high enough level, you're informing the dreams and purposes of the, of the kids watching. Everybody's trying to find a hero to chase, right? right. Um, but it just did not compare to uh, military service. Mm. And so for me, I went to Navy to serve. And so serving, there's there's no desire to not serve. Uh, and then there was certainly a desire to see if I could keep up with these seals that I'd read about and been around and learned from, right? Right. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, I feel like you gotta go places that scare you a little bit um, and try to chase people you don't know if you can catch. Yeah. And and that pool will kind of get you to places that you probably wouldn't take yourself. Right. And so there's never any thought of, I'm not gonna go serve. It was always, no, I'm going. no. I, I, for me, I, you know, the opportunity to play at that level was really, and this was pre 9 11. Mm. Uh, so this is 1997. And um, uh, the special operations community is always active. There's always something right. going on. Um, but, you know, you watch David Robinson and you watch Chad Hennings and obviously Roger Staubach. And, and you look at what they did. I mean, David Robinson is, is, is not diminishing anything. Most people don't understand that he stayed in the reserves, right? But mm-hmm. he did as much for the Navy as a pro basketball player, Hall of Fame basketball player. You look at what Roger's done. And people don't understand that. Like, Roger deployed to Vietnam, right? But look at what Roger's done for the Navy and for service in the Naval Academy. And Chad Hennings is remarkable, um, despite having had to go to Air Force Academy. Yeah, that's a joke. That's a joke. Uh, so there's a desire to make an impact. Right? Right. And so there's a time where I was like, man, is it where will I make most impact? Will I make most Im- Im- impact? As, a, as, a, as an athlete or you know and you, you always want to kind of see how far you can take something right. but um there was it was just it was pretty easy to walk away from because the opportunity to serve and and then made it through seal training and then 1999 i came back out to the saints and i just remember the minute i stepped in the locker room i was like i'm I, i'm not breathing the same air mm-hmm. like i'd breathe that rare air of service and special operations service and being surrounded by men. I was just like, I mean, I don't know if I can keep up with that guy, but I know I'll be better as a human being if I try. I mean, I'm not diminishing anybody on the, on the, on the saints at the time. It just, it just was not, um, it's like, you'd already, you know, if you've already tasted ice cream, uh, yogurt, it's not, the same. it's not ice cream. It's right. your, you know, it's your sherbet. It's not ice cream. Right. Uh, so for me, I just, I wanted to serve and, I wanted to, I, I didn't want to just be a guy who trained to be a SEAL. I wanted to do what SEALs do. And right. I wanted to, I wanted to serve alongside, you know, Marine Corps. And a lot of times when I introduce myself or when I'm described, I'll say a Navy Special War, a, a Special Operations Officer. Because, you know, SEAL teams are just a member of the Special Operations community. Like we're one finger on a fist, right? And you have MARSOC, you have PJs, you have SF, you have Rangers, you know, um, controllers special operations on the whole is a community so it's like a position on the field but right. i wanted to be around that mm-hmm. so talk about buds or the, the yeah, seal training I, that's what i've heard it was hard uh, no, it. the guy who recruited me to the naval academy i said i want to be a navy seal and he's like yeah you just tell him and that's not true that's not that's mm-hmm. not how that goes <laughs> right yeah. I bet. so it was it was pretty amazing and um you know i was not i had not prepared for buds i just left the nfl just driven across country with my new wife. And I remember the first day I checked in at Bud's, it was like, it was like a, the longest run I've ever gone in my life. Like right. I was like, I, I think I'd created a safety violation. I was so far behind <laughs> my class that the medics were like, it, we may not be able to save anybody if they get hurt up there. Cause we're so far back here with you. Right. And they were doing these rope climbs and I didn't know how to do rope climbs. So I was just all upper body. And I was probably 245, 250. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made a few climbs and got to the top of the rope and like the skin on my hands just 
felt tore away sand darted down about 30 feet down hit the ground and the instructor's like oh he's dead i stubble i'm gonna go tape my ankles and the instructor's like okay and i went home that night <laughs> my wife's just like how are you i'm like oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh but it was that it was that every day for six months right and it was but it was amazing it was amazing i get asked a lot like what did i learn on the seal teams and with no disservice to the seal teams what i tell people is i didn't i learned a lot of tactics techniques procedures craftsmanship right well, from the intangibles that are exportable into everyday life, I didn't learn anything new in the SEAL teams. What I learned is everybody who loved me uh, and led me and poured into me was right. You know, I, I learned um, that all the, you know, all the things that my coaches and my, my professors and my parents and, and the friend, my, my, the parents of my friends were telling me about life, it's, it works if you trust it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, the SEAL experience was a proving ground uh, maybe more so than a, than a laboratory, right? Cause you don't have time to be wrong there. Right. Like you you got to go with what right. you believe to be true and it's either true or it's not. So yeah. for me, it was an amazing, we started out with a lot of people and ended up with less, right? I mean, that's kind, kind of, of the things like it was about 80% attrition, 20% retention. So we started out with, I think over 200 and we had about 250 and then ended up with tw 21, graduated with 21, and we had 12 originals, guys that kind of started at the very beginning, went all the way through. Right, so, and that's what, that's what makes an elite team. Yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. And I, everybody says there's three phases, and in, in, in programmatically there are three phases in BUDS. I kind of think there's two. There's will you and can you. Mm -hmm. And will you is will you do whatever it takes, right? And that's really first phase, and it is just getting kicked in the teeth every day right. and, and figuring out who really means what they say. And then you go to Hell Week, and Hell Week is kind of the ultimate test of will you. And then after that, it kind of becomes can you, meaning do you have the the actual skills, capability, intellect, uh, team uh, team capability mm -hmm. to do the job. Right. And there's a lot of guys that make it through Hell Week uh, that, that don't make it through training, and they're amazing guys that were just maybe gifted for something else. And so the Navy benefits from incredible guys that haven't – the resilience it takes to make it through training, but their gifting is somewhere else. And the Navy and the nation gets to enjoy their gifts uh, in other jobs, right? right? So I was just fortunate enough to, I, I consider myself the upper half of the bottom third, <laughs> just about everything I right. do. I'm the top 10% of the bottom 33%. And that certainly was the experience in the SEAL teams, man. I was just surrounded by people every day. I was like, God, man, how am I in the same room with this cat, right? right. You know, you did how many pull-ups with one hand? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's amazing. I do pull-downs. And, um, yeah, Buds was uh, Buds was a place where your words got to go to work, or you yeah. don't make it. Yeah. So. Well, that's amazing. Part of elite team. That's kind of what I want to talk about. What yeah. it means to be elite. Yeah, I've heard you speak before yeah. at DBU, and yeah. I was incredibly blessed. And I want to talk that's to you cool. about what that Thank was. You. And you you said that there's five outcomes for everything. Yeah. So yeah. What are those five outcomes, and what are the differences? Uh, so, so the way I've kind of reduced the outcome world into five things, and then it was either bad, it was average, it was good, it was excellent, or it was elite. And I think we have to look at ourselves and, and, and determine where are we okay with our outcomes, right? And for me, if it's uh, – I just don't know a scenario where a bad outcome is should be acceptable in a lot of ways. Uh, average, man, average doesn't have any secrets, right? And then uh, good, good's okay. If it's not our passion, I'll only ever be good at golf. I'll bounce between average – I'll probably bounce between bad and average at golf my whole life. Right. But it's not my passion and profession, so it doesn't yeah. really matter. But it's my passion and profession or belief system. I want to exist somewhere between excellent and elite. And for me, the difference between excellent and elite really comes down to um, 
excellence is quantifiable. It's real, it's measurable, it's a goal, it's objective, it's attainable. Um, elite is what you do after you reach those goals, right? And, and I, I love the nauticals, you know, time and tide, wait for no man or woman, right? And if there's, if you have time and treasure and talent in the tank, uh, and, and you're where you said you wanted to go, then enjoy it, celebrate it, rest, recover, and revel, and then reload and find the next ridge line and go. Uh, because I don't think there's this, I think the world would like to sell us that there's this X on a map that you get to, and everything's great. You know, the house, the wife, the spouse, the kids, the car, all this other stuff. Uh, with what I do professionally, I deal with some of the most successful people on the planet, and um, who in theory are exactly where the world told them they should be happy. Hey, you should be happy, and they're not, right? And they're not because there's something missing. And so for me, I don't think there's an X on a map. I think there's these X's on a map uh, that you adventure to throughout your life and people you adventure to those things with. And then you bounce around towards Jesus till you meet him. Right. And that's kind of it. Right. That's and, amazing. and, um, so for me being elite is looking for that next ridge line, not marginalizing outcome, not, not failing to celebrate the people who got you there. Uh, you have to spend time doing that. God, God talks about it. God rested. I mean, look at that. Mm. God rested, not because he was tired. He was just provision for, appreciation of what was just done, right? But he didn't stay still after that, and neither should we. So for me, elite is this acknowledgement that it's just a little further than X. It's like this mythical ridgeline that right. you just keep chasing. Yeah, yeah. So where did this idea come from? Was there a story, like, from the battlefield? Was it— Well, yeah. I mean, the, the story the story that a lot of people hear, um, you know, there's a, a thing we did right after, in the days after 9-11, and, and uh, you know, it was very successful, and, and my chief and I— um, and the enlisted is where all the talent and ability really reside in the military, unless mm -hmm. it's in the aviation community where the officers are flying. But the enlisted is, is what our nation's enemies fear, right? right. And, and uh, you know, the sergeants and the, and the corporals and the petty officers and the airmen, and um, they're amazing. And then the senior enlisted, uh, the enlisted are the backbone, the senior enlisted are the spinal cord. Mm -hmm. And these are the men and women that have just done it more than anybody else. And my... Chief was amazing. He'd put me through hell week. He'd uh, college football player, just really respected my arm to this day. He's one of the most influential men in my life. And I was pretty proud of what we just done. And I remember looking at him and saying, hey, Chief, the boys are excellent, and we ought to do something for him. And he just kind of turned and looked at me with this kind of disdain, kind of like this. Uh, and he said, hey, sir, the reward for excellence is no punishment. Hmm. I'm not here to be excellent. I'm here to be elite. And instantly for me, the visual of the difference between excellent and elite became very clear, right? It was like, uh, you know, you play these games and the, the, the pieces of the map yet to be revealed, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so for me, as I instantly, as soon as he said that, I, I kind of, when I lost my father, I just kind of consistently assembled this cabinet level of people to chase in slices of their life. It could be a man, it could be a woman, it could be a business person, it could be an athlete, it doesn't really matter. There's 10% of their life that I want to chase. And, you know, so 10 people, 10%, pick the best 10% and, and go, right? And all of a sudden they made sense to me. They, right. There's tremendous diversity in endeavor and gender and, and, and uh, success and all of a sudden, but all of a sudden they made sense to me. And, and how they made sense to me is they weren't done yet. Like the, they had this quality of kind of relentless pursuit of something, uh, that pulled them beyond themselves. Mm -hmm. That's one of the secrets of hell we got to tell people is like, listen, God put in this beautiful pain hack and that because we can't multitask, uh, the, the, the brain doesn't work that way. Um, you can only think about one thing one time. So you're right. either thinking about yourself or you're thinking about someone else. Mm -hmm. And if you're going through extraordinary discomfort, when you think about someone else, you forget for that microsecond 
that you're uncomfortable. So when you're freezing and all of a sudden you look at someone in your boat and they're freezing more than you, you're like, hey, bud, you okay? For however long it took you to say that, you can't maintain awareness of how cold and miserable you are either, right? right. Which is leading is hard. And that's why I think servant leadership is the most successful because it allows you to step away from the, the, the challenge that you're facing as a leader uh, and you get to enjoy this um, the aspirin of affection towards others, right? Mm -hmm. And so not only does servant leadership, I think, work best, but I hear one of the reasons I think it works best is because when you're thinking about others, you can't think about yourself. Right. Unpack that a little more, the servant leadership. Even as a SEAL or as a team, you're on an elite group of uh, sure. people. It's a small group. Yeah. How does thinking of others benefit the team more than thinking of Well, yourself? as an officer, listen, I, I think servant leadership is more important than ever because you got to surround yourself with guys better than you to do anything because if you're the best you got – but the mission's bigger than one person, then everything else is a liability other than where you are. I, I did the opposite. Like, there, everyone around me is better than me. Here, everyone around here is better than me, right? And so it's like I envision these great endeavors as like the Iditarod. Like, you're just on the sled, yeah. hanging on for dear life. And surround yourself with dogs that can pull. And, um, you know, I get asked about that. What's it like to lead SEALs? I'm like, you don't lead SEALs. You, you aim them. Mm. right these are highly motivated highly skilled and that applies in the marine corps and the army and the air force coast guard um you know we have an all-volunteer military right so the majority of the time you're dealing with somebody who wanted to be there because you don't necessarily have to motivate that person uh you have to steward uh their talent towards the problem they're most gifted at fixing right and so for me servant leadership was easy because uh i needed i needed people and need people better than me around me to do what it is I said I want to do. So I got to take care of them. That's right. that's the talent, right? That's where it is. Hmm. So. so there's a story I heard you tell about Ray Lewis. Yeah. That we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, Y'all were sitting in the, the linebacker meeting. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. Unpack that. Yeah, it was The really difference deep. between elite and elitist. Yeah. So so one of the things I tell people is that, you know, that you can tell the difference between an elite and elitist. They're different words for, right. for different reasons because they're different things. An elitist is you never have to ask an elitist what they did because they'll just tell you, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, give it give it long enough and elitist is going to – and whatever happens, it's another cup of them. You right. Know, but pour yourself another cup, right? Elites are meaningfully different because they're pouring themselves out. They, I mean, they're almost reckless and irresponsible with their gifts and abilities, right? Um, and they do this for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, they're not afraid. They're not afraid of losing their advantage because they're confident in their ability to perform at that level. But two, they also kind of know to do any great thing, you got to take more than you. And so we're sitting there in a linebacker meeting room and, and I'm watching Ray. This is his second year. So he's, I mean, he, we, we knew he had the potential to be the Ray that everybody knows, right? Um, but he's not there but yet. But he wasn't there yet, yeah. right? Uh, and, and he was telling all these, so he started his first year in the league, right? So he's telling all these guys that are in theory competing for his position all the secrets. Hey, what are you seeing? What are you doing? Right. And I'd grown up like that. I mean, at the Naval Academy, we know we need each other. And when we say next man up, that's because the battlefield that we're going to demands that. So we have this absolute desire to uh, be collectively prepared because that's what our, our craft requires of us. Um, in, in sports, a lot of times it's not that way though. Like this, uh, this shuffle step, this this break, that's what keeps your starter's position. So right. here I'm watching the starter telling everyone else how to beat him. And he came to me. He's like, "Clint, you got any questions?" I was like, "No, man. Uh, actually, uh, I do." I said, "Why are you telling everybody your secrets?" And I was hoping that the answer was what the answer was, and it was. And he kind of looked at me. He's like, "Clint, everybody gets the ring, or nobody gets the ring." Mm. 
and then he looked at me and he kind of smiled. He goes, and I'm not scared. And I was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be giving me really good. But right. that awareness of one man can't win a Super Bowl, like, you know, 11. And if I get hurt, I want the guy behind me to help us win a Super Bowl, right? And he's he always had that singular conviction of winning a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And, and, and nothing else matters, right? right. And he, he did it. He was successful. He, he did won. It. And I tell you what, you know, everybody talks about Tom Brady. Tom Brady, uh, Tom Brady wants the guy backing him up to win the Super Bowl if he gets hurt. Because right. he gets a ring, too. And for him, it's all about the ring. It's not about him winning the ring. He he, he deeply and firmly believes that he's the best chance to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And the evidence supports that. But the dude wants to win a Super Bowl regardless of whether he's starting or not. Right. Because that's he, his goal. That's yeah. his goal. That's yeah. his goal. To win. And all champions are like that. Right. All champions want to win. They, they, they want to win. And if that means they step out so someone else can win, then that's what they do. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you mean what you say, right? Right. So, uh, you know, I, I thought of that often. I, I, I remember when going through SEAL training and even now looking for people that are deferential to the mission, right? Does the mission matter more than me? And, right. and it does. Right. So, yeah. And so through being elite, there's mm-hmm. five habits. of elite Yeah. So I call these people. the pursuit points. And, and, um, and, and so after my chief had told me that I kind of, all right, if elites are not done, elites aren't elitist about pointing themselves out, not filling themselves up. And they're not done. What are they not done doing? And so I kind of wrote these things down, and, and I call these things pursuit points. And, and there's five of them. Elites are balanced. They're curious. They're tribal. They're intentional, and they're authentic. And these aren't like sequential. It's not linear, right? It's right. like it's a like a five lane highway heading where you said you want to go. Mm. And at any one time, you're kind of in one lane more than the other. So like, hey, right now I got to be balanced, and, but you're maintaining situation awareness of the other lanes because you never know. Sometimes you're riding both of them. Like, hey, I'm I'm I'm, I'm in between curiosity and balance right now or you know um every once in a while you're jay turning and you're just like hooking all over right. trying not to die and you're on all five yeah really, really really quick but yeah and so for me i was like all right they're not done being balanced what does balance mean and so for me balance isn't an equal distribution of effort uh balance is having high ground for our days cultivating those uh those places those safe places to go to to be reminded who you are what you're about and why you start doing the hard stuff so you can get reloaded and roll right down into the problem right um curiosity for me as a talent aggregator curiosity is maybe one of the most important things if you're already good and you're still curious that's that that's what you want right now I, I was with the nfl team the other day and i looked at their best player and i was like hey man if you're already great but you're not curious, this is as good as you'll ever be. Mm. You'll, you'll never be better than you are right now, which is fine unless the game evolves. If the game evolves, you're hosed. And if someone comes in that's as good or better than you, you're hosed because you haven't figured out how to get better. And then I was pretty literal. I said, listen, if, if you're not curious, then you're telling me you're perfect or you're done. And you can't be perfect, so now you're a liar or you're lazy. Hmm. Like, and, it's, and, the, and this is what I tell myself, too. It's like, hey, man, wh- where are you not curious right now? Uh, are you not curious because it doesn't matter? Or are you not curious because you're overly confident, right? And, and I tend to paint myself into the corner of the person I said I want to be, right? So elites are balanced. Elites are curious. Elites are intentional. I mean, they're tribal. Uh, we say two is one and one is none. And what we mean by that is if you're by yourself, you're wrong, right? You're, you're not doing anything that requires uh, – more than one person, mm-hmm. you, you might be wrong, you know. And if you're trying to do something across more than one person by yourself, you're wrong, right? So um, the way I describe that is there's really four kinds of groups. There's gaggles, groups, teams, and tribes. 
makes them different is what yokes them together. So gaggle is yoked together by misery, like wrong place, wrong time, wrong choice. Groups share preference. They like the same stuff. Uh, teams share a purpose and tribes share a conviction. And so purpose is really, really important. And teams is a good word. Teams, But teams for me is a starter's line. It's an right. academic declaration. It's a roster, right? Uh, you, you know you need someone more than you. You have a collective, you have a, you have a, 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 a shared mission, and you know you need diverse skills to pursue that mission. Tribes enjoy conviction. T.E. Lawrence, who's Lawrence of Arabia, uh, most people, that's what they know him as. T.E. Lawrence once said, an, an opinion could be argued with, but a conviction is best shot. Because conviction produces action, right? Uh, you can say you want to win a Super Bowl, sign up, and be on the same team, but that you may not do everything it takes to actually win a Super Bowl. But if it's your conviction uh, and it's a shared conviction, that's what I think is so great about sports is, you know, the, it, there's such little difference between um, talent in a league right now, right? Uh, what happens is in August, everybody says the same stuff. And in January, you find out who means it mm -hmm. because you all say, hey, we need each other, all this other job, a mission before me, right? And then January, the, the teams who meant it the most are still playing and everybody else is watching, right? Yeah. And uh, so I think as leaders, we got to, hey, are we a gaggle group, team, and tribe? And whatever the answer is, it's okay. It's just drive towards tribalism as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. so, so leads are balanced, curious, tribal, and they're intentional. You always know why they're doing what they're doing. They're like you look at nature reveals a lot, right? A great white shark looks lazy till it's coming at you. Right. Like, oh, that's what that was built for. Yeah, you yeah. know, like a lion's looks lazy till it's coming at you. Like, oh, okay. And and intentionalism is understanding your craft and being um, extraordinarily efficient while you're doing it. Right. You can be wrong, but you're not wandering. That's why I talk about elites always know why they're doing what they're doing. There's a high why and a big why. Uh, you know, my high why is probably a million people already know this is. I got three girls and I just want to be the kind of guy my girls want to marry one day. And that means I got to love their mom in a way that I want them to be loved. And and um, the public declaration of that keeps me very honest to that mission, uh, which is important. Like I said earlier, you know, discipline is you, a form of discipline is publishing your plan because right. everybody heard you gets to hold you accountable to that now. And the big why is why you do what you do. Uh, 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 what do you use your time and your treasure and talent? What do you use your time and treasure and talent? So for here, like I love working for amazing leaders because I learn, love learning for them. And I love creating amazing careers for veterans and athletes as they transition. So I know why I'm doing this interview. I know right. why I came to work today. I know why I'll go home tonight, right? And that's really important because all of life is about making decisions. And all the competition is about making better decisions faster than your competition. Mm -hmm. If you don't know why you're doing something, you're not going to make good decisions and you're not going to make fast ones either. And then, then you have authenticity. And authenticity is really, in some ways, um, the hardest because it requires the most honesty with yourself and others. But, mm -hmm. but the byproduct of authenticity is you recover or you, you don't lose the one – finite resource, 24-7, 365 means the same to everybody. Mm. And when you make a mistake, you let someone else make that mistake. In a, in a, in a, organizationally, you just doubled down on loss. Like if it's a five-second mistake and you don't tell anybody about it and 20 other people make that five-second mistake, you just lost a lot of time, right? So it's tactically right to be authentic. But not only is it tactically right, it's, it's, it's morally right. Like you used you don't recover time, but you do redeem it. Mm -hmm. When you when you spare someone the pain and the scars that you already have. So I talk about authenticity is preaching from your pain and sharing your scars. 
And I tell guys, I was like, hey, listen, your scars owe you or you own your scars. Right. And how you know is how, how well you can talk about them. You can talk about your scars, you own them. Can't talk about your scars, they got you. So I find elites to be extremely authentic. And there's so much in there and so much we could unpack. Yeah. But I think a, a huge thing is sharing your scars. Yeah. And I want to talk about that more because it's it all goes back to that story of Ray Lewis and it yeah. all goes back to the team and being a sure. tribe because tribes are one and, mm -hmm. and they're going on the same mission or purpose, whether it's a Super Bowl or whether it's a mission on the battlefield. Right. So talk about sharing your scars and what it truly means to be authentic. Well, I, again, I think from a performance perspective, sharing your scars is the way to create efficiency, right? It's inefficient mm -hmm. to, to make the same mistake over and over again. It's inefficient to let someone else make the mistake. If you metric those mistakes in time, it's extraordinarily inefficient to relearn the same lesson over and over right. again, right? So it manifests itself in performance speed because, uh, and I was telling a pro coach the other day, I said, he said, make no mistakes. And I kind of winced when he said it. And so afterwards he pulled me aside. He goes, hey, why did you wince when I said make no mistakes? I said, man, I've not won the games that you've won. I'm, I'm not trying to tell you how to be a football coach because you're amazing. I said, but you're working with genius. And the last thing you want to do with genius is stifle creativity. Mm. And so when you make no mistakes, you're potentially stifling creativity, right? When you say make new mistakes, you're facilitating creativity and innovation, right? And you're also calling someone to be a pro. Because if you're making new mistakes, you have to pay attention to your old ones. You have to understand how they happen and and the, and the environmentals that contributed to it, right? So you're, you're creating a craftsman. I mean, they're, they're becoming a pro because they're paying attention to mistakes. But you're also giving them the ability to, I mean, the worst thing you do at Barry Sanders is you run them back. You don't say, hey, Barry Sanders, run to the A-gap, and someone's there, fall down. You're just like, hey, Barry, run left. Mm -hmm. And then you watch Barry run left, you're like, other people can do that. And then you change your playbook because of that. And then they're like, nope, no one else can do that, right? right. So the craft gets elevated when you allow genius to innovate and create. Mm -hmm. um, so but the authenticity piece is, is being able to refine yourself by not learning uh, not repeating someone else's mistakes or your own and then sharing those gifts with others, right? There's so much we don't do on the battlefield because really proud people were really honest when they came back mm -hmm. and said, Hey, don't do that. Right. Um, so I've just, I've always found that to be really, really important as it relates to performance. So with that perfection piece mm -hmm. and being elite, what's the balance between being elite and then chasing perfection, but knowing that perfection isn't attainable? So so for me, that's why I really chose the word elite and not perfection, right? right? Uh, perfection is an outcome. Uh, elite is effort, right? And so for me, it's when I say pursuing elite, I, I don't mean uh, marginalized current achievement. I'm just saying like, hey, you still got, you still got air. Like, like keep going right the thing about ridgelines and why i think ridgelines are such a great kind of picture for this is ridgelines are i mean it's the best view i mean you know the ridgelines the best view but it's the most it's at least hospitable it's mm -hmm. an inhospitable terrain you can't live there you can look from there but you can't live there because it gets the first rain first snow first heat first cold all the first so when you're on a ridgeline you got to kind of make a choice like hey you look back before you came like do i go back down there or do you pick some other ridgeline and go oh that looks cool let's go mm -hmm. do that right mm -hmm. um so for me it's it's not about marginalizing outcome it's about being a steward of your your, your time your treasure and your talent and um flowing from x to x right. and trying to make Christ famous while you're doing it, trying to, right? Yeah. I, I, when I started TRG, I remember I met with my senior pastor and, and I just kind of asked their permission because I was like, hey, is this wise? And they said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to build a place for wars to be wars and love their wives and children well. 
I want to financially bless them for choosing a sheepdog's life. I don't want to show Christ in everything we do as a company and I do as a leader. And that has not changed. Um, now, I'm extraordinarily imperfect in the pursuit of those three things. I mean, I've failed those three things more times than I can count. But I've never not known where I was going, right? So for me, it's less about getting there and more about going there, right? right? You know? That's why, the, that's why the books are long. It's like yeah. in Lord of the Rings, it's like a uh, bad guy came up, then they threw the ring in Mount Sauron and everybody, and it's over. And yeah. that'd be a horrible book, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, really? That's not very fun. No, it's not fun, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's, 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 it is, and I work really hard to make sure people know that I'm not saying, I'm not marginalizing outcomes. I'm just not deifying them either, hmm. right? Because yeah, those outcomes aren't God. Yeah. God's really clear on what he'll do. God's really clear on what he'll do with things that try to be God. And, right. like, and sometimes what happens, God gives us what we think is God to show us, like, hey, how is, how's that God? Right. Uh, it wasn't what I thought it was, right? right. So Yeah, and it all goes back to knowing why you're doing what you're doing. Sure. And, yeah. and you have a mission for the business you're you're doing now, and you mm -hmm. had a mission when you're on a on a football team, and you yeah. have a mission when you're on a battlefield. Yeah. So talk about knowing your mission, pursuing your mission, and not letting anything stop. Well, that allows that's what allows you to course correct, right? It, it, that's what keeps you from wandering, right? It, um, so there's this high stress decision making process that we we use a lot in the military, and when I describe it, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, I do that too," um, and everybody does kind of intuitively do it, but we kind of codified it so we could teach on it. And it was based on a guy named uh, John Boyd, who's Air Force pilot, he's an amazing Air Force pilot. And they called him Forty Second Boyd because no one could shoot him down; he just won all the dogfights. Right. And they're trying to figure out if it's like this uh, physiological superiority. You know, you have VO two max, or is like his brain bigger than other people's? Or is it because you know, is it twenty five? You know, twenty ten? I right. And basically, what he said was like, I, I, make, it's, I think it's how I make decisions. And so it's called OODA loop, and it's O-O-D-A. And what it stands for is observe, orient, decide, act. And so what he's saying is like, hey, I figure out where I am. I figure out where I'm supposed to be. I decide I'm going to get there. I go for it. And very rarely will you iterate from point A to point B. What more likely will happen is you loop, right? You know, like, hey, that, I didn't get all the way there, but I got part way there. So where am I? Where am I? Where do I need to be? How am I going to get there? Go. Boom. Next time. Uh, am I? Here's where I am. Here's where I am. And, and, but if you don't know where you're going, you can't loop your way there. Right. And so so for me, that that knowing where you're going and knowing why you're trying to get there, this allows you to get back up and try again. Right. You know? Yeah. So I want to talk about one more thing with being elite. And it's it's this thing that you've, you've talked about. And it's hold fast and stay true. Yeah. And it's, I feel like it's important to you and you're passionate about it. So I want to let you talk yeah, about for it. For me, it just kind of distills everything into kind of, um, I think the ocean is such a great metaphor for life uh, and without waxing too philosophical. But as a guy who spent a lot of time in the water, right, one of the things you learn really quickly is the water always wins. Mm -hmm. Like that's the water wins. And all you're really trying to do, what all a waterman is trying to do is understand the best ways to, to, to not die in the water because the water is always going to win. Right. It's the most powerful form in the universe, right, or on Earth. And um, what's cool about the water is – uh, once you agree to its terms, you can be pretty successful, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that uh, life is really like being at sea. Like you can do everything right, but the water's got to vote and you got to understand how to deal with that, right? And so for me, you look at the, and being a kind of a son of the sea, that's that's my terrain is the right. water, right? I just love the old, mm -hmm. and I think most guys in the 
our community kind of envision themselves as like modern day pirates, pro- mm-hmm. probably privateers, yeah, pri- yeah. privateer more than prior because we're sanctioned. <laughs> and um, so I just love that imagery. Uh-huh. And one of the things you say is, you know, hold fast and stay true. And what's that saying is like, hey, when the storms come, because they're going to come, what are you going to hold fast to? Do you hold fast to the new shiny things that the world told you, or do you hold fast to the stuff that seems like it's been here before? You know, the weathered, scarred, beaten, but still here, right? And just hang on to that. And stay true was about your conviction. Remember, you know, hey, there's a place we're going for this got really hard. And you're going to let the winds, the waves, and the storms steer. You're going to stay true, and we need you to stay true, right? So for me, it's 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 a it's a it's a call to action for myself uh-huh. uh, that I've been blessed to be able to share with others, right? And I used to write it on my knuckles, H-O-L-D-E-F-A-S-T-S-T-A-Y-T-R-E, right? And just, my wife wouldn't let me get them tattooed on my knuckles. <laughs> and uh, I so I'd sharpie them, though. I'd sharpie them. And uh, since I was playing ball, and it was it was like it was a reminder. And I, and I put gloves on, like, because, you know, it wasn't about other people seeing it. It was right. about me knowing what was on my hands, and your hands do the work. Mm-hmm. So I was telling my body at the point of contact with the enemy or the adversary or the competition is like, hey, this is going to be hard. And it's going to come down to who's willing to hold on longer and stay true longest, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's why it's kind of like a personal battle cry in a lot right. of ways. That's good. Well, as we land the plane, I want to just give you the mic. And just yeah. let you talk. What advice would you give, one, to me? What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self, the, the 20-year-old that's looking on to leadership, looking sure. towards the future? What, what would you tell that well, person? Well, hopefully you're not the 20-year-old me because I'd tell, I'd tell the 20-year-old me, is like, just shut up, dude. Like, stop. Right. Like, listen. Listen more. Ask more questions. I don't have a lot of regrets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I look back on my life at the seasons that I wish I could have done maybe differently or better, uh, there was an absence of curiosity at the time. So, um, and I'm a naturally very, very curious person, right? So, uh, ask more questions and, and, and listen better. Uh, if you're young in your career, I'd tell you, um, curiosity doesn't tell a leader that you don't know. Curiosity tells a leader that you want to know. And if you remember what it says, curiosity is a creator. When you're young and you ask questions, all you're telling me is you want to be good at this. Mm. You're throwing your hat in the ring, right? If you're young and you don't ask questions, what you're telling me is you're already good at this. If your performance doesn't reveal that you're already good at this, then you, you're not going to be here for very long, right? I've known probably one of the most curious guys in the league. Larry Fitzgerald is amazing. 17 years. Uh, this is his 17 year in the NFL. Crazy. And he's still one of the top receivers ever. He, he might be one of the most curious people I've ever known and certainly one of the most curious athletes. And you got to believe that that's contributed to his longevity in the game right. and his ability to continue to perform at a level. You think Drew Brees is done being good? No. I mean, he's, he's – the greats are – there may be some physical gifting that a lot of the greats have that some people don't. But I guarantee you there's someone as physically gifted than them. So what distinguishes them is their curiosity, their, their ever-present curiosity. And so I'd tell you don't be ashamed by your questions that you have. Um Ask questions. Uh, ask questions that scare you. Like for me, when I talk about curiosity, it's it's intellectual courage. It's the co-equal and precursor to physical courage. And the reason I say that is most of the time, though, the only reason we don't ask questions is because we're, we're scared of what people will think when they find out we don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a definition of courage, a- action in the face of fear, right? So the only ways I know how to train for courage is put myself in a position to be afraid and work through it on a repeatable basis. And the one of the only ways to do that is you know, you go out in the woods and, you know, stare at a bear, you know, there's, you do a bunch of 
but you can also just ask questions, right? Right. So I try to tell my daughters, ask one person you don't know three questions and ask three people you know uh, one question you've ever asked them before, right? Um, and I ask a lot of questions because I'm trying to make that courage muscle strong all right. the time. Yeah. So that would be it. That's what I tell you. Ask more questions and listen better, bud. I appreciate it. Clint, thank you so much for yeah. your time. I'd also tell myself to take better care of my hair. Like, well, I don't, <laughs> hey, I, you look great. Like, well, that's because I'm taller than you. I mean, there's, uh, a, there's a good sense. little bald spot up there. I was like, man, what? I should probably do a better job at if I want to keep it longer. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking more at your. There, beard. Yeah, the beard. There's a great. lot of hair on your yeah, face. Yeah, the beard's you're great. Not, you're not the, lacking the, down there. Beard, their beard's strong. The beard's strong. I'm proud of it. Bo5 yeah. hot oil. You should be. <laughs> well, Clint, thank you so much, and thank you. Yeah, for my service. pleasure. Absolutely. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for being worth it. Once again, music for this podcast is provided by the Vasco Band. Vasco Band. Go check them out. Go check them out. On Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you find your music, the Vasco Band.